Women Making Waves. You're probably not going to believe this, Susie, mm-hmm. actually. Oh, I, I probably won't, you probably won't actually, no. no. Mm. I know it's not like me, but uh, and you, you might be slightly worried, in fact, to hear this, but <laughs> I've started baking again. I haven't done that for years and years. Well, actually, I always thought you were a baker because you always do, because you're vegetarian anyway, you always like baking things, don't you? Pre-baking oh, well, things you, see, so you can have things in the evening. That's a bit bit of a bit of an assumption there but I know about baking cakes and scones and stuff like that you know oh, that kind of baking right. not cooking oh, okay. I'm talking about baking yeah so why well, why I Linda? just what's, got it into my head I don't it? know just mm. came into my head I don't know what did it I, I suddenly fancied something really old-fashioned so I looked up my grannies you know I've got notes from years and years ago and I oh yes I remember yeah. you saying and I found that, yeah. some recipes that my granny had written down a long long time ago coffee buns that sounds great mm, like, well yes you'd think wouldn't you that coffee buns were full of coffee but no what are they full of then there's not not any coffee to be had in the in the flavoring of coffee buns i think they're called coffee buns because you're meant to eat them with coffee oh i see so, so what are they just like scones or no they're kind of like cakes with sultanas or raisins, but I've chosen sultanas. And you can splodge them on just on a tray, you know, and like, well, I put it down, baking paper. But you can just, you just pop them on a tray. But the, the only thing I, I would say is that they all kind of went blah <laughs> and melted into one big. So I had to kind of cut them, cut them up, but they tasted very good. And not only that, but much to my surprise, my husband got right stuck in. And he's not a big homemade thing. I think he's one of these people that I suspect he probably wouldn't drink milk from a cow. It would have to come from a <laughs> bottle or a carton. You know, he's a bit like that when it comes to food. It's not proper unless it comes in packaging. In his head, somewhere or other. And I would deny that, but I've observed him over the years. And I think that that's what goes on in his head subconsciously. Yeah, it wouldn't be right if it's homemade. But he really, he really likes these. It's interesting these. you say that it didn't look right, but it sounded delicious. It's a bit like the story at the moment, isn't it, with supermarkets. They're sort of giving you... The vegetables that have got little knobbly bits on them that don't look good, but actually they taste just mm. as nice. But they're just vegetables, yeah. of course. So they it's do. a bit, yeah. you know, why do we need to make sure that sometimes cakes are presentable if they taste just as nice? And you know, if they have an exactly. extra bit of, I don't know, icing sugar hanging off the side, or if they've got an extra sponge <laughs> at the side. You know, we yeah. need to be a little bit more open-minded, don't we, about the presentation of, of Linda's cakes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, mine in particular, because it's never going to be good, let's face it. But yeah, the lot were scoffed. So yesterday I raked up another recipe and I, I did add a bit of my own here. Okay. But I made coconut cupcakes with uh, cream cheese and icing glaze that had coconut in it as well. Okay, okay. So lots of coconut, coconut on coconut. I quite like coconut. So is that because, Linda, that you had some, when you say this was your own concoction your own recipe well i I did steal it from the interweb Ah, but then you know what i have this really bad habit of doing is going yeah but it would be better like this wouldn't it (laughs) (laughs) it usually leads to disaster i suppose the testing bit is would chris like it and he obviously did like it did he like that i think he quite likes these as well yeah i I did say this morning did you like the cakes and he went yep they were all right and i said (laughs) i said well, they weren't too sweet or anything. And he said, cakes are meant to be sweet, aren't they? <laughs> well, he's right. He's absolutely Overwhelmed right. Overwhelmed I was by his enthusiasm. <laughs> 
I think that's quite good, actually. So, so Chris is the tester, and he's probably very happy to be the tester of your he case. He probably is. Yeah, he never sounds yeah. happy. You yeah, know. it's funny, isn't it? So, I'm I'm interested, Linda. Do you what? Do you whisk it yourself in a bowl, or do you have mm-hmm. yourself a mixer that no. you use? No, it's all hand done. Oh, yeah, see. it's the way I was taught. You see, mm. and it'd probably be easier to because the recipes all say add it to your mixer. Yeah. <laughs> so I just so add it to my hand. bowl. Get my wooden spoon out. <laughs> It's not one for technology. Well, I think that's great. <laughs> I have enough of that at work. <laughs> it's very funny because yesterday I was spo- speaking to spoiking. I was speaking to my daughter who's just really got into baking like you have. It must be something. Maybe it's because we're something coming in the into air. the autumn. Yeah. Yes, it's autumn. Yeah, it's autumn yeah. baking. Anyway, mm-hmm. she can't afford obviously one of these huge big mixes, but we found yeah, something online. That has been recommended and it only costs about, I mean, I say that's, it's still a lot of money, but it's 50 quid as opposed to 300 pounds. Well, a hand mixer is fine. Hand it's just that you need to hand over, yeah. hang it over the top. I've yeah. got a hand mixer, but I don't tend to use it very much. So you use your hand and a wooden spoon. Yes, it's easier to clean the spoon wow. in the bowl than it is to clean a mixer and all the bits, isn't it? Yeah, I, you know, some people would say that's the dark ages, Linda, going back to, mm, the, oh yeah, to the wooden yeah. spoon. But obviously but it I'm works. proud. Yes, I'm proud I'm of pr- my dark ages ways. <laughs> <laughs> well, good for you. It's a shame we're remotely talking here. Otherwise, I'd say, could I have a bit of your cake, please, that you've made? You'd have been welcome mm. to my coconut on coconut. Mm. <laughs> coconut mm. on coconut. <laughs> I think that's what I'm calling this one. <laughs> There's a lot of coconut in it. I nearly used up a little bag of desiccated coconut. <laughs> well, I just think that anything you've got in your cupboard, that's what you're going to use. I mean, and you've done yeah, that, exactly. Linda. I and have. Chris is still around and he's able to eat it and walk away and still feel okay. I think I encouraged him by saying, well, it's much more healthy than the stuff in the shops because there's no e-numbers involved. True. That's very true. true. Yes. Yeah, it's, yeah. They are, it is what it is. It, it, still not healthy, but, you know, the ingredients are what they are and they're all fresh. So, you know. <laughs> so on that note, Linda, you are determined to make your baking as good mm-hmm. as you possibly can. And Chris obviously yeah. is the... With, with no regard to how it looks, but yes. Yes, exactly. Yes. And in the same token, we've got two very interesting guests this week, haven't we, who are equally as determined as you. Indeed they are. Yes, we've got Steph Martinson-Barker. Now, she's the CEO of Cambridge Women's Resources Centre. And if you're wondering what that does, well, you're going to find out all about it. Very, very interesting place and a very interesting woman as Mm. well. Yeah, very much so. And another determined lady, Sinead Sharkey-Steenson, career elevator coach at Generation Women. Now, this is really interesting. She's helped over 10,000 women get the promotions and pay rises they deserve. And she's she's on a goal as well. So more will be revealed, we think, later on about that too. Excellent stuff. You're listening to Women Making Waves radio show and podcast, brought to you by Susie Thorpe and Linda Ness. This show is all about women doing extraordinary things. Steph Martinson Barker is CEO of Cambridge Women's Resources Centre. Steph has lots of experience of working with people who need support. She's been a senior youth worker, a parent support advisor. She's worked with young carers and been a senior family worker. 
We want to find out more about Steph and are delighted to be chatting to her today. Welcome to Women Making Waves, Steph. Hi, happy to be here. Excellent, excellent. Now you you started work in a Cambridge law firm, I see, and you were there for about three years. That feels very, very different from the environment that you ended up in. Did you enjoy that period? Yeah, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. The only reason that I left was because when my youngest, well, my eldest now, went from um, nursery, uh, he was in a private nursery, we couldn't get anywhere that would pick him up from school or anything like that so I had to change because there were no childminders I mean this is 25 years ago so yeah there were just no childminders or um, anyone who did after school kind of provision or anything like that so I had to leave the job which I was absolutely gutted about. That must have been really really difficult so what was your thinking at that time had you been enjoying the kind of social care type area and you thought oh maybe take the opportunity of going into that or was that a fluke What, what happened? No, I mean, it was it was pure fluke. So I left there and I went to work at um, Cottenham Village College in the Hearing and Language Centre. So I worked there for a number of years and then went to uni. So it was just one of those accidental jobs. One of my friends said, oh, we've got this job. Why don't you come and apply? And I'd done youth work alongside various other bits of work and, and just kind of fell into that, really. My intention was never really to work in any social care field with children or with people. So... <laughs> Why was that, Steph? Why was that in your your intention? It's it's an interesting statement, quite frankly. Yeah, I don't know. It just never occurred to me. So my family has always, you know, been kind of lorry driving, farming, building work. You know, my... I've always done mechanics, stuff like that. So I've to then end up at the Women's Resource Centre is, is amazing because I've never really worked with women or, you know, in those kind of social care environments. So, yeah, it was just I just learned what I enjoyed through just jumping into things and trying it. If I didn't enjoy it, I didn't stay. But, yeah, just a kind of personal growth, I think, through the years. As you said, you went to university. You did a degree in social sciences at Anglia Ruskin. Did you enjoy that? Was that was that a good period? Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I was sad to leave the school, but yeah, it was a good challenge. Um, And I did various pub jobs around that and juggling. I think my son was seven at the time. So yeah, it was a busy time. Yeah, I loved being at AIU. Do you find it's it's interesting when we talk to a lot of women that things change when their home life changes? So you have children, or you <laughs> um, you're married, yeah. or you don't marry. You have a partner, or, and you, your life changes because either you move around or circumstances. And you just said you never would have thought you'd be in social care or doing anything like this, and now you have. It's interesting how I think more women do this than men. Yeah, do- I think that women certainly chop and change career paths to match the kind of settings around their families I mean I was a single parent so my ethos was I just need to work so whether I was getting up at five and doing cleaning jobs and then doing pub work around uni and all of that kind of stuff that's essentially what I did because I wanted my son to have all of the opportunities available to him you know that he at that time had and the same with my youngest you know it's 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 very much about that And I find that women certainly do that more than men. The emphasis on childcare has been taught around equality and pay and everything else. Certainly seems to, if people are together, fall at the feet of women more. But I didn't have that option. I didn't have a partner around. So it was just get on with it. Yeah. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And you did a number of jobs which involved supporting people. It seemed to be 
well, after that degree, it did kind of have a shift in your career and you were doing that kind of stuff more and more, which is kind of, I guess, as you did social sciences, not, not unexpected. Did yeah. you enjoy all of those uh, all of those jobs? Yeah, I did. I definitely always leaned into jobs, supporting people who have less opportunity to voice their own needs. And that when I think about my career history and when I think about how I am as a person, I hate seeing people be bullied or have less opportunity or being overlooked. And so certainly I've tended to go into jobs and prefer working with people to walk alongside them to help them have their voice heard. And I think it's important to say walk alongside because I think so many professionals go into some careers to have a voice instead of the person they're supporting. Yep. And that's that's really kind of becoming part of a systemic issue where you're taking their power away again and again and again by not having that choice. And everyone has a voice. It's just working with them to give them the confidence to be able to say to the world what it is they want, whether it's, I don't know, a controlling mother or whether it's a school or whether it's, you know, a partner or whatever that is, just making people feel and believe that they can have a voice and have a say. I think what you said was was really interesting because I think you're right. I think a lot of professionals come and kind of go, right, get behind me. I'm going to look after you. Climb in my back. Whereas what you're doing is saying, right, I'm going to take your arm and we're going to do this or, or I'm going to push you forward, actually. But I'm going to help you and yeah. maybe maybe give you a few pointers on what to do and what to say. I think that's really good. Mm. Yeah. And it's more sustainable. You know, you're helping people to have that for the time that you're not there. You know, it's 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 a valuable life thing. And a lot of the people that I've worked with and it's not based on class or or wealth or anything else, because I could go from working with a single mum in a council estate to working with, you know, especially at the council to doing parent support to some mansion up, you know, up near Addenbrooke. So it was a classless issue, especially when you think about domestic violence and sexual abuse and all of those things. Yeah. They have to be able to sustain that past the time that you're there. Otherwise, people become, you know, reliant on services. As a CEO of the Cambridge Women's Resource Centre, a typical day for you, I'm sure, is a very, very busy but variety <laughs> of things I'm sure you do. But the highlight for you of this job, what can it be? I love it. I absolutely love it. When I was working at the council, I think I had five of my friends and other professionals that I knew sent me the job and just said, you need to apply for this. And it just seemed absolutely terrifying at the time. But I did. I applied for it. I remember I was volunteering at Strawberry Fair and it was absolutely hammering it down with rain. And I'd got my interview. So I used to run the traders there. So I was literally in like high vis, soaking wet, covered in mud. And um, then had to go and get changed in the back of one of the vans to go for the interview. And then had to like run back onto site again. And then the day that I found out that I got the job was the day that the fair opened. And I literally was jumping up and down with joy. It's brilliant. Yeah, it was just such a surreal thing to think that, you know, I could. And it's, you know, imposter syndrome, isn't it, that I could go and do that. But I've loved it. I've absolutely loved it. I love all of the women that I work with, the women that come to the centre, the community of women's uh, sector CEOs have just really inspired me. Yeah, I'm part of the um, Cambridge and Peterborough Women's Consortium and it's just absolutely amazing. I can imagine with a bunch of women there and you're all, you know, kind of similar, I guess, you're doing similar jobs. I can imagine the exchange of information and the support must be phenomenal. Yeah, 
It is. It is. It's something that you don't see in the statutory sector as much. There are definitely partnerships which do work really well. But yeah, it's been a real eye opener and not being a very girly girl or womany woman, you know, both my mum and dad actually were, it didn't matter if you were a boy or girl, you still got on the tractor or you still did this or you still did that. So my mum was saying to me the other day, you know, you can never get a dress on you. (laughs) You would always, you would always tear it or rip it or get it covered in mud or whatever else. So to go into the women's sector has been really um, eye-opening for me personally, but also just in terms of like the community spirit. But that's not only locally, I mean, nationally as well. We've got the National Coalition for Women's Justice, who are just absolutely the most insane, amazing women I've ever met in my life. And I just feel like every meeting I go to, I'm learning so much. And it's just it's just so empowering in in a time where there's a lot of disempowering things going on in the world to have that kind of, you know, support and mentoring and community spirit. It's brilliant. Mm. I love the idea that your mum and dad treated you, uh, you know, that you would do everything. It wouldn't be a girl for this and a boy's job for that. (laughs) And and in many ways, that's why you are where you are now, because you haven't come from a preconceived archetypal situation. You've come in with a broader view. And that's been phenomenal, I think, for where you work now and for what you've done. And as you say, though, you're still learning. We're all learning. Crikey, I hope we continue learning till the day we die. But um, I think it's wonderful that you've come in like that. Do you find that you're doing the same now with your own children? I mean, I've got two boys. I don't know. I mean, I've got one 25 year old and one 12 year old. So they're very, they're like chalk and cheese. (laughs) But, you know, I've taught them, you know, motorbiking. I've taught them bikes. I've taught them all of this and the other. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I wouldn't see gender as as an issue. You know, if one wanted to go off and do ballet, I would have no absolutely no no issue with that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult when you've got two boys because I haven't got anything else to compare it to. Yeah. No, no, <laughs> I do find that when I, I, mean, I have two boys and, and the one thing I didn't teach them and uh, they're only learning now is to do their own sewing, sew the buttons, ah. sew the things like that. And I didn't teach them that, but I taught my daughters that. That's fine. That's where you oh, come really? from. Yeah. So for me now, I look back and think, why did I not teach them to sew? How What a ridiculous thing not to do. So that's uh, that's what I was interested in. Well, I hate sewing, yeah. Susie, so you can teach me as well, actually. <laughs> I'm not very good at it. <laughs> Rather. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think my, my boys are quite good at that because I've made costumes in my spare time. Ah, so okay. I do stilt walking. So they've always had to, yeah, be able to make bits and pieces here and there. Stilt walking. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> she drops into the conversation there <laughs> casually. I'm assuming from what you said earlier that you grew up on a farm then. Well, yeah, so it was like the side of farmland in Longstanton. So it was, yeah, in the middle of nowhere, randomly listening to bagpipes every morning, which is really disorientating because of Edinburgh Regiment were behind us because there were no Kinton barracks. So, yeah, every morning was bagpipes. Every time I hear bagpipes, it just reminds me of my childhood. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. That's amazing. Absolutely amazing. So at the Women's Resources Centre, as CEO, I assume you're not as hands-on as you maybe used to be in previous jobs? And, and how do you find that? Or, or are you just always kind of going, nope, get me stuck in there? Well, I think because of the nature of the work we do, we're, we're a women's centre. So I think you can't not get involved 
the way we work is a trauma-informed approach in both the Cambridge and the Peterborough one. In that, we don't wear lanyards. Like a lot of the women there wouldn't necessarily know I was the manager. We talk to everyone on a level. It's not hierarchical in any way. We're just women coming together in a community setting and some will go off and do project work and some will do one-to-one work and others it's open access. And that's really important because women have so little space available to them in communities to just be a woman first and then everything else second. And part of our trauma-informed approach is to embed that. So, yeah, I don't kind of hide away in an office because I don't think that's very me. Whether they they had a different manager, that would happen. Um, But, yeah, no, that's not very me. But I do love... I love the partnership work. I love talking to the women and seeing what the gaps in provision are and then creating opportunities and getting them involved and that kind of co-development of services which match their needs at that time is really key to us. So, yeah, I'm probably not as hands-off as I should be for my <laughs> workload, but uh, I do I do really enjoy it. And from the moment you talked about empowering women, Has that changed over the years that you've been there in a sense there are more opportunities or are you still facing the same challenges as we had, say, when you first started at CWRC? Yeah, I think it's the same challenges. I think it's becoming um, increasingly harder because organisations aren't necessarily being funded in the way that they should be. So um, a lot of contracts are going to non-women's sector organisations So like outreach services for domestic violence or going to male led organisations rather than women's only organisations and probation contracts aren't necessarily being focused. So and that's that seems to be a bit of a pattern nationally in, in terms of supporting women in our community. So I think where it felt when I started slightly easier to get money for women's sector organisations and now feels really difficult that on top of, you know, our core costs are increasing, our um, staffing is having to be competitive with statutory sector organisations so we having to raise the internal wages and things like that which is brilliant because we want women to earn more but it's very hard to compete with these huge million pound contracts when you're a small organisation locally. Tell us about the Cambridge Women's Resources Centre what do they actually do? Well um, <laughs> we are in our 40th year it's our 40th year this year in Cambridge and uh, our 10th year in Peterborough So we support women in our communities through open access support. So women can just come in and be women. They can access our hygiene bank. They can access clothes. They can access grants and funds. They can just sit and have a coffee and have a chat with one of our volunteers. We run freedom and employability courses. We do one-to-one work. Um, We signpost to other organisations. Like I say, we work in the Cambridge and Peterborough Women's Consortium. So we'll often refer to sort of rape crisis and and women's aid and turtle dove and, you know, one voice for travellers. So it's really kind of a a one stop shop for women only services. Um, There is some specific support we do around um, trying to reduce debt exploitation, uh, modern slavery, those kind of things, which obviously we're panicking about increasing with the current climate. So really, it's it's. It's 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 difficult to explain in in just one soundbite really, but it is it's really varied. We offer volunteering opportunities for women who want to come in. Yeah, we offer placements from people at ARU. It's a kind of movable feast. <laughs> it sounds very interesting, actually, what you're doing. Mm. Yeah, it does. Yeah. 
it's interesting, as you say, you have so many things on offer. Do you sustain all the people that work with you? Are they there for a long time or have they come and gone? Is it hard to find people with experience to help you along your way? In terms of staffing and volunteering? Yes. Uh, staffing, or oh, both, but let's start with staffing. Yeah, so staffing, I mean, recruitment nationally at the moment is very, very difficult. What we tend to find is that we will have people on board, they'll train with us, they'll get a year's experience and they'll move to a statutory sector, which is better wages, which is brilliant, but also <laughs> very frustrating. Still destroying, yeah. Yeah, um, so that tends to be the, the, the case in the women's sector. But yeah, I mean, recruitment is incredibly difficult at the moment. And I don't know whether that's just because people are nervous about going back to work or changing jobs or, are, you know, are worried about the complexity that is included in the frontline work currently. Because yeah. um, yeah, we're getting such high levels of of kind of complex cases I can't even imagine what kind of person would be able to cope with all of the things that you've talked about you know that's a wide wide range of of people that you're helping there yes it is yeah we have different um support workers different different um people for different projects which obviously kind of increases the well-being and obviously we work in a trauma-informed way so well-being of staff and volunteers is is paramount really in our level of work and in the same in any any women's organization yeah I think that's good I often ask these questions about where you are where you've come from and how you are now and you can't believe where you are now because you said (laughs) you've been brought up driving tractors and doing all the things that actually women still still walking Yes, still walking still as well. Walking, absolutely. And still walking. Fantastic. Incredible. I love that. Yeah. But from a sort of a motivational point of view, what, what do you try and get across to the, the women that you help that don't give up is, is a saying that springs to mind. That's a very corny thing yeah. to say, but it is don't give Although up. Although I think, I think there's something really healthy about just being able to give something up if you don't want to continue it, actually. Mm. So I think it's, 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 it's a mix of give things a go, and just try it. It's like, you know, taking safe risks, isn't it? Taking risks and just seeing how it feels, assessing that. Is this something you're going to be able to maintain and not beating yourself up if it's not something you want to continue with? But that's OK, because there'll be another opportunity that you can take up and you've learned something about yourself in that process. And I think women particularly don't give up, don't give up, don't give up and actually stick with things far longer than they should do when actually there might be something else out there which is similar but better suited to them so it's it's a real kind of yin and yang yeah I think that's a really healthy approach actually because exactly what you're describing I go on and on and on even if I'm really not liking something anymore because I kind of I don't know do I would I feel like a failure if I stop perhaps do I even think about it probably I just keep going like it's somehow or other I've been set this task you're not supposed to stop you're absolutely right just just having that conversation is quite interesting actually it's not it's not a bad thing you don't like it don't do it and and it's not the end of the world yeah yeah I call it the Brussels sprouts discussion (laughs) (laughs) really why is that (laughs) because people either love or hate Brussels sprouts It's a very, I, I, do you know what, it's so refreshing to hear you say that, Steph, it really is, because we're all brought up to, uh, when the education that we have to get through exams, and it's the, it's the be or an end or, and sometimes it's not the be or an end or for many, many people. There are other ways of getting to where you want to get to a certain stage, and so I really like that saying. Well done you, I love yeah, that. that is, that's great. Now, you're really, really busy with your work. 
you are a single mother. You still walk. You, you're, are you still involved with Strawberry Fair? What do you do in your downtime? Have you got um, downtime, Steph? Not really. I'm just finishing a master's at the moment. So my downtime <laughs> is... Wow. Here we go. Wow, that's fantastic. <laughs> Trying to, may I just add. With AIU, you've been incredibly patient with me. <laughs> Yeah, so I'm, at the moment, my downtime is doing my master's. But I spend quite a lot of time at festivals. I do um, some amazing work on the kids' field at Glastonbury with an organisation called Replay, who um, teach young people how to play musical instruments, acoustic instruments. Um, and so I do that in the summer. And I summer's my downtime, I guess. I go surfing um, with the kids and just camp and spend lots of time walking and just being outside. I love walking up mountains. I love just being outside. Yeah, just being out with the kids and not in a house <laughs> is my is my downtime, really. That's fantastic. I really enjoyed speaking to you today, Steph. I think, I think it's been a great conversation. <laughs> really enjoyed it. Oh, by the way, we should mention you're also a member of the Board of Trustees for It Takes a City as well, aren't you? Yeah, yeah, I'm a, yeah, a trustee for It Takes a City and trustee for an organisation called Bare Necessities, which um, provides pants and socks to homeless. So I do two of those. So It Takes a City is just the most amazing organisation. Um, they've come, really come up in the last few years and I'm just so pleased to be involved with them. It's just such a fresh approach to partnership working and it, it's, it just makes such a difference to homeless people um, across Cambridge. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah, and, fantastic. Uh, like Linda, I've so enjoyed it. Thank you so much. Brilliant. Thank you, Thank Steph you. Martinson Barker. Thank you. That's all we've time for today on Women Making Waves. Our thanks go to our guests, Steph Martinson-Barker and Sinead Sharkey-Steenson. We're always on the lookout to feature women living extraordinary lives, so please do contact us if you know of someone we should be talking to. Now you can contact us via social media on Twitter and Facebook at WomenMW or on Instagram at WomenMakingWaves. You can also find us on cambridge105.co.uk or visit our website womenmakingwaves.co.uk where you can hear all of our interviews. Bye for now. Bye-bye.